We are continuing with our series in the Old Testament and seeing Jesus in the Old Testament up we're up to part 16. And today we're going to look at the Exodus theme through the Bible. And my goal today is to make some hugely important connections between the Old Testament and the New, which are not only exciting, but I think they're very encouraging and comforting. And I hope you'll think that by the time we get to the end of this message. So uh, just uh, some recent episodes in this story. We looked at, in, in number 10, we looked at uh, uh, a different kind of love. The Hebrew word is chesed, which is best translated, a love that will never let you go. And we looked at the beautiful love that God revealed to humanity. And then we looked, uh, we did a series of three on the new creation, looking at the big story of the Bible and really trying to understand how we can make a choice to live in this now. Last time I looked at idolatry and how it works and how, um, why it's such a big theme in the Old Testament and how it's about, uh, idolatry is about trying to get something from the gods you worship by by persuading or manipulating them, some sort of transaction to get them to do what you want. And how God hates being treated in that way. And God wants to be worshipped simply because of who he is and then to be trusted. And I've got this little image here that our motive is not to get good things, but our motive is to worship him. And we want to... uh, uh, this is the image of how idolatry works. We want to worship him because of who he is and just to receive things because we trust him. So today I'm looking at the Exodus theme through the scriptures. And first of all, I want to look at how the Old Testament uh, points to the new. Then 14 points of connection between the Exodus and our salvation. Some of them will be very quick. You'll be relieved to know. And then reading some beautiful Old Testament verses we now know apply to us. So the first point to make is that we've talked about types and pictures in the Old Testament um, having echoes in the New. And there's really two major kinds of types. There are There are people who are point to Jesus, the pictures of Jesus. And you can, we're not going to go into that now, that'll be a few, for a future time. And there's events. And the primary event in the Old Testament that points to Jesus and his work is the Exodus. It's what he did. It's escape from slavery and journey to the promised land. And this is echoed in the whole of the Old Testament from that point onwards and then into the new. So first of all, let's look at the old and how it's pointing forward. So Isaiah 11, and you'll, you'll very quickly pick up the Exodus language in here. <clears throat> he will lift a signal flag for the nations. He will gather Israel's dispersed people and assemble Judah's scattered people from the four corners of the earth. Now, of course, Israel hadn't been scattered to the four corners. He's talking about all of humanity here. An exodus that involves all of humanity. Ephraim's jealousy will end 
Judah's hostility will be eliminated. Ephraim will no longer be jealous of Judah and Judah will no longer be hostile to Ephraim. In other words, peace between different ethnic groups. The Lord will divide the gulf of the Egyptian Sea, the Red Sea. He'll wave his hand over the Euphrates. Oh, it's not only the Red Sea, it's the Euphrates. And send a strong wind. He'll turn it into seven dried up streams and enable them to walk across in their sandals. So it's not just people crossing from Egypt as the Israelites, but also coming from the east. There will be a highway leading out of Assyria. So the Assyrians will now be part of this exodus for a remnant of his people, just as there was for Israel when they went up for the land of Egypt. This is so exciting because the exodus imagery is now being expanded to the whole world. That's Isaiah. We're just going to look at something from uh, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 31. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor, together a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him, which, of course, is what happened with uh, Egypt. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. They shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old men shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Now, I should say that some of the language in the prophets is actually also applies to the return from captivity. Israelites were in captivity and then being brought back to Israel. This language of Exodus was used, but it was kind of bigger as you saw in some of this, that bigger than could be just explained by them coming back from Babylon and from Assyria. So this is just a hint that I'm giving you of the um, the kind of uh, imagery there is in the Old Testament that's pointing to something more, something bigger that's going to happen. And of course, this is fulfilled now in Jesus Christ and his salvation. So that was my first point how the Old Testament points to the new. Now we're going to spend the bulk of this time today looking at 14 points of connection between the Exodus and our salvation and then end with some beautiful verses in the Old Testament. So, 14 points. Um, You might actually think of some yourself, um, very, very obvious connections between the Exodus and um, salvation. So just... I'll give you one moment just to see if you can think of any, and then we'll launch into it. Slaves under a Satan figure. So salvation is from slavery. Here's a verse, Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that through, though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And uh, another 
verse here, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which of course is Satan, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. And so this imagery of this being Satan's world and living under his enslavement through sin is uh, parallels with the enslavement from Pharaoh. So that's the first one, slaves um, under a Satan figure. And now the next one I have is they faced annihilation. And that's quite simple, you know, um, the goal of Pharaoh had, he was going to try and wipe them out as a nation. He was killing all the male children. He was going to wipe them out. And that was as our goal. Yeah, sorry, that is our destiny if we stay where we are and we're not freed. Um, third one, saved by the blood of a lamb which died instead. And of course, that's probably the clearest connection between the two because remember at the Exodus, they had to take the Passover lamb and they, they ate the lamb, but the blood of the lamb they, they, uh, painted on the, the, the doorposts and the lintel. And they did that to show that a lamb had died and so the firstborn in the house wouldn't die. So the lamb died in, in place. And that imagery, of course, is very strong in the description of Jesus. Um, uh, or I meant to say, um, I haven't got it up there, but first John, sorry, John one twenty nine. Um, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know many places Jesus is described as the lamb. Um, so that's the third one. The fourth one is that a regular feast will remember him. So you remember that the Passover, which was probably the main annual feast of Israel, was to commemorate that time. They would have unleavened bread. They would have the, the lamb. That all the all the things they would do for the Passover was to remember, because God said, you must remember what happened. You must teach your children what happened. Don't forget what I did for you, bring you out of Egypt with a strong hand. And this is very, very clear that they are to remember this regularly. Every year, they have to remember this. They have to remember what God did. Well, we have a regular feast. First Corinthians 11.25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And of course, it's no accident that this was, this happened, this was given at the Passover that Jesus, during a Passover, inaugurated this replacement feast of the new covenant in his blood. So it's his blood instead of the, 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 the blood of the lamb. And so, uh, regular feast then remembering this. Um, and then we have another one which you might not, uh, you might not have thought of, but it's, Paul makes it clear that there's an image of baptism, that going through the Red Sea was like going down, um, d dying to the old and coming up to new life in the new. And First Corinthians 10, we read, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. 
and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Well, this is preempting another of the connections, because here it's saying that when Moses struck the rock and the water came out, actually that was Christ. He was the one who was providing for them this living water, and he's the one, the spiritual food. So the, the imagery there as well. I'll come on to that in just a minute. But before I do that, he also refers there to the cloud in verse 1. And we, um, so the cloud was, uh, during the day, it was a pillar of cloud, and during the night, it was a pillar of fire. And that led them. And it said every time they were to set off, it started to move and they would follow it. And so there's this idea of being led by God every day, um, him directing them, which is there in the uh, in the story. So we also then have uh, a covenant that's made. Um, and the covenant that's made at uh, Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments given and all the law of the covenant and God makes a covenant with Israel. And in Jeremiah 31, it says, Behold, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt, for they violated that covenant even though I was like a faithful husband to them, says the Lord. But I will make a new covenant with the whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and will write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. And we know that this is applying to to us because the book of Hebrews says that the new covenant is in Jesus and this is the promise to God's people that we are the people who are the recipients of this new covenant. So we have this parallel, very, very um, strongly, clearly laid out parallel between the old covenant and the new covenant. And um, then we have uh, the next point I have is an experience of rest. And the book of Hebrews goes into that in some detail, but I'm just going to say that um, the Sabbath rest was inaugurated in the wilderness and they had to rest one day. And that was completely rest and God will provide for them that day. And that got incorporated into other things like resting a year, um, every seven and so on. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, Jesus says, it's a rest from trying to make yourself good enough for God, trying to, trying to do, keep the law that you can't keep, you can't keep it all. It's just too, too much to do. And he says, I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is bringing in the rest, the book of Hebrews tells us, that they never got, although they were supposed to be able to get it, they never actually entered into it in the wilderness. So this is parallel. Then there's the one that I alluded to before, being fed from heaven. And Jesus really clearly makes this connection with the wilderness in John chapter 6. Um, the Jews at the time, around there said, 
Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So this is just after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And they want more food. And so they're quoting this to Jesus and saying, give us some more. And what Jesus said was, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but my father is giving you the true bread from heaven. He says, and he explains that he is the bread from heaven. Well, what does this mean? It means quite simply that we need him to survive. We need his strength to survive. We're not designed as Christians to be independent beings that can just do it ourselves, self-contained. But the other image Jesus gives us is of the vine and the branches and how branches must be connected into the vine and constantly receiving the sap from the vine in order to have empowerment for living. And Jesus says, that's the same with you, your branches. And then this is another image that he is the food, he is the manna, the true manna that gives us life. And so just as the Israelites were sustained daily by supernatural provision from God in the wilderness, so we are sustained through Jesus supernaturally indwelling us through the Spirit. So that was 8 and 9. And then we have 10 traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And um, so there's some places where the picture is of us being in the wilderness now. We're saved. We're on the way to the, the land flown with milk and honey. We're on the way to the promised land, but we're not there yet. And we're in this wilderness situation where... Um, I know there are struggles, there's, there's hardship, but we're going, God is taking us to this place, which is going to be our destiny. So this kind of intermediate place is, um, is strong there. Um, but God is dwelling in our midst. So in Israel's time, you have the pillars of cloud and fire, but you also have the tabernacle and God's presence there with them. And he's dwelling with them. And similar with us, that we as individuals and as a church community are the dwelling place of God. So we're on a journey, but the journey isn't to some place God is and he's not with us. God is with us in this journey, traveling with us, not leaving us. And so that's um, very another very clear parallel. And I could show you verses referring to connecting the tabernacle and God's presence with us. So another interesting one is Israel were called a holy nation. And there's a lot of confusion uh, amongst Christians about the word holy. Holy doesn't mean you're perfect, you're pure. It's nothing to do with your state of purity. It's to do with being dedicated, belonging, devoted to God. And Israel were a holy nation because they, the nation was dedicated to God. And we, as God's people, are called saints. And saint literally means holy one. And that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're spotless. It means we're dedicated. We exist for him. And so the, uh, this number 12 then is a holy dedicated people. We, we are, we belong to him. We're his. So 
thinking a bit more about what's going on in this in the wilderness journey, we see that there are attacks of Satan, the serpent, on the way. At one place, it was literally the serpents were biting them. But there's this constant attacking. And that's actually pictured in the life of Jesus when he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And, you know, just just imaging what happened to Israel. And we, as we are in the wilderness, it's a place of testing. And uh, God can give us the victory through Jesus, who's defeated, who's won the battle against the temptation and Satan. But this is a place where he will try and get us. Whereas once we are in the promised land, of course, there are all those things are behind us. And uh, then that brings me to the last one. The wilderness ends crossing the river into new life and into a new life rather. So, so that imagery of like the final river of like get, going through the, the Jordan being like death and, and going into the, the, the place that God has for us. And so, of course, with them, the promised land wasn't rest immediately. There was all kinds of other stuff that happened, but, but, um, for us, that's, that's the time we will come supernaturally into the place that God has for us. So that's a very quick look at some of the connections between the, this Exodus event, salvation from Egypt through the wilderness to our experience of salvation. And I've given you some Places I've given you biblical support, other ones I haven't just for lack of time. But I also want to say that if you can come up with some other links between the Exodus and our salvation, I would be great. I'd be really glad to hear them because I've not seen anybody lay them all out like this. So I would love to talk to you um, after church about this. It would be great. And next time I do this, we can have 15 or 16 on the list. Um so uh, that's the exodus and salvation. Those are the connections. And so let's uh, see where we've been. We've looked at how the Old Testament points to the new, looking at those passages from the beginning of Isaiah and in Jeremiah. And then we've been looking at 14 points of connection between the exodus and our salvation. So now hopefully you've, you're convinced that there's this really close connection between the two and um, that that uh, we can learn from one from the other. And so we're ready to look at these beautiful verses that uh, apply to us. And the verses are in Isaiah chapters 40 through to 43. And I'm going to read quite a few, but I'm not going to um, read all of them. I'm going to pick some things out. But you're very welcome to read actually from 40 right the way through to 50, Isaiah 55 is full of this kind of imagery. So <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and tell her, that a time of warfare is over. A voice cries out, In the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord. Construct the desert uh, in the desert a road for our God. And of course, this was quoted in the new refrain to John the Baptist doing this. Every valley must be elevated and every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level plain. So, and it goes on. 
just scroll this down. The rugged landscape, a wide valley, the splendor of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it at the same time for the Lord has decreed it. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. So now God is pictured as coming through the wilderness with us like a flock of sheep. And any who don't have the strength to be walking, he God picks up. So he's he's carrying the lambs, the little lambs that can't keep up with the flock. He's carrying them. He's he's uh, gently bringing these along. And then towards the end of this chapter, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth. He does not get tired or weary. There is no limit to his wisdom. He gives strength. To those who are tired, to the ones who lack power, he gives renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary, and strong young men clumsily stumble. But the Lord, those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagles' wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Now, why? This is so powerful for me is this I now know, seeing it in the context of the Exodus imagery, it talking about us walking through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land. And God is with us. And the reason we get tired and weary and stumble is because of life. And God is saying, you know, life is such that even strong young men will get become clumsy and stumble. That's what life is like. But I'm there. And if you wait for my help, you'll run without growing weary and you'll walk without getting tired because I'm with you in this journey through the wilderness. This is, this is amazing. This imagery is just so wonderful. This is why I wanted to spend some time sharing this with you. Then let's look at Isaiah 41. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none. So this again, this is Exodus language, wilderness language, when they didn't have any water. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain and pine together. So God's actually saying, you know, I'm going to plant a beautiful little place for you to have some rest. And you can see this is the language that Jesus was using with a woman at the well. And he said, you know, he he had he would give her water which she, after which she'd never thirst again and it would spring up into eternal life. And this kind of imagery of Jesus bringing this water is there. So I just love these um this imagery of we're poor and needy verse 17. 
We're poor and needy. We seek water. Our tongue is parched with thirst. But I, the Lord, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So you may be feeling thirsty, parched with thirst. You may be feeling like that because of it's hard going through the wilderness and that's your experience. And I want you to really take these verses in and see God is with you. He's not leaving you alone. And uh, the, the supernatural feeding in the book of Exodus is nothing compared with what he is doing for his people. So that was a very quick skim through Isaiah 41. Now we get to Isaiah 42. And you may recognize who this is speaking about. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And here it's speaking of Jesus. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretch them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And here, what's happening, Jesus, of course, was a light for the nations, but we are now given this responsibility of being, of carrying Jesus' light to the nations and and uh, free the prisoners by bringing the good news. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, this is interesting. What's it, what does this mean? Well, the first time in Scripture where we have a, pra- a praise song recorded was after the Exodus, Miriam began leading God's people in song and they sang a song of praise for coming through the Red Sea. That's the old song. So this is alluding it to it. Like, you need now to sing a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that, all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Um, Then, so that was Isaiah 42. Now just a little bit from Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. In other words, don't be thinking back on what happened. So verses 16 and 17 quite clearly talking about the Exodus, made a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, brought forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. So this is very clearly talking about the old Exodus. Then he says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And this is Jesus coming and the the whole earth being being brought in an Exodus from every corner of the earth. 
Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. You know, this just brings tears to my eyes reading these verses. And we're, we're done now. I've got no, nothing more to show you. Um, I just wanted you to see and to hear those words and to be able to take them in. That here we have a God who is so gentle. And he says, you know, I was so, I was provided everything for those people in the wilderness. I was such a good provider, but I'm going to do even more for you. And, you know, imagine your little lambs. I'm going to carry you. If you're sick, I'm going to, you're, you're, you're thirsty. I'm going to supply your needs. I'm going to care for you. If you stumble, I'm going to let, I'm not going to let you fall. All of those things. I am going to provide for you. And I want you to, to, to leave this message today with the strong idea that even though I am in the wilderness, you're in the wilderness, we're all in the wilderness, we're, life is a struggle in many ways. We have a God who has given us such strong and vivid promises of being with us, caring for us, watching over us, leading us, providing for us, feeding us. And I just want you to to take heart from these words. And I would encourage you, just look at those these words in Isaiah 43 to 43. Just read some of them and see the beauty of those promises. And if you've got if you like to, you can rewrite the way through up to uh, Isaiah 55. There are lots of amazing passages about the work of Jesus and comparing it to Exodus imagery. So that is my message today. And I really hope that it's as, as much a blessing to you as it has been to me to, to really catch, uh, an image of God as that one who's just providing and caring for me in that such tender way. And to be able to take that in. And when the, the hardness of the wilderness comes upon me and the stresses of being in this difficult place, I can know that I have him with me and his love for me. So let's just uh, pray now and uh, thank him for this. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for the work you've done in Jesus. That is so wonderful that you've delivered us from slavery you have such a dream for us in the future. And even now as we travel and sometimes struggle, you are with us every step of the way. And Lord, we pray that we will be, we will never forget this and we will be dependent on Jesus. Not try and do things in our own strength, but recognize that he is our manna. He's our provision. He's our constant food for us on this journey. We pray in the name of Jesus that you'll do this. Amen.